I am Emily Lyons. In 2009, without a high school degree and no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. But since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be lifted and shifted by these people too. After all, all inspiring people are inspired people. So get ready to be inspired. This is Mind Your Business. All right. Well, we have got my friend Molly Dare with us today. Molly, welcome. Oh, Emily, thank you so much for having me. And apologies if you hear my dogs in the background snoring. I have three dogs. They're all they're all sleeping right now. So it's not a person. It's my dogs. You have three dogs too? I have three dogs. I have three dogs too. We <laughs> Three's are... my lucky number. Yep. Two crazy dog ladies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Guilty. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love so much about you. I feel like we have so many similarities. Uh-huh. <laughs> you've been an entrepreneur for so many years and you've done so many different things. Tell us, who is Molly? Oh, what a question, right? <laughs> How much time do you have, right? <laughs> you know what? It's, I'm just a believer in the human spirit and the capability of women, especially, but all people, men and women. I just think we are so capable And for whatever reason, so many of us are such self-doubters, myself included. And, you know, growing up, there wasn't a lot of people who I really looked up to that I saw in these like entrepreneurial CEO founder roles, right? As women. And I think what's so wonderful happening now is you get to see so much of that. And as a mom, I'm a single mom to two girls. And I love that they get to experience that and see that. So who I am is first and foremost, a single mom to two girls and three dogs. So I'm a single mom of five, uh, really. (laughs) That's what I say. I'm a founder of Hill & Brand Media, which is my media company. And we produce features and interviews on the entrepreneurs of today who are providing impact, public figures, anyone who I feel is like really doing something new and good, using their talents to inspire and empower others. And yeah, I mean, that's really my main focus. I also have a podcast where I get to feature these amazing mm-hmm. female entrepreneurs. You were on it. Molly dear. <laughs> Thank you so much. But really, that's my mission is just to give a platform to as many inspiring and motivating people who I feel are impacting the world in a very positive way. So you started your first business. It was a clothing store, right? It was a yes. luxury children's clothing store. And did you start that when you were a single mom? I started my first store when I was married after I had my second child when she was six months old. And I had always been entrepreneurial. I had done various things and got married, went to the burbs and had my kids. There was always like a fire in me. Like I always wanted to be doing and, you know, being a mom is definitely one of the toughest jobs. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just someone who always needs to be creating something else as Mm -hmm. well. And I wanted to keep my identity as that. And I had two girls. I love children's clothing. And so there was a need for the specific type of clothing that I really love in my area. I didn't see it anywhere. And I'm always looking for where there's a need. I think a lot of us entrepreneurs are like, hmm, where can I add my value? And so I saw that there wasn't this. And so I started bringing clothing into my home, kind of doing trade shows. I'd bring the clothing in, invite people by appointment into my home until my husband at the time was like, there were racks in my dining room, living room. I mean, it was like taking over. And my husband at the time was like, you need to find a place for this. Like, I'm really excited for you, but not here. (laughs) So 
I found a brick and mortar, you know, in town that was perfect. And so that's when I opened my first store. Cut to me getting divorced and realizing that I was going to be living on a lot less than what I had been living on. And, you know, had the spirit of, okay, we just got to figure this out, right? We can't stay in this, what am I going to do frozen situation? I'm just like, okay, we're going to figure this out. It's time to pivot. It's time to use what I know how to do, which is this children's store and make it bigger. Like, where can I go that's bigger with more foot traffic so I can sell more Mm -hmm. and create a larger profit? And that brought me to Chicago of all places. And so that's when I opened up, I was in New Jersey at the time. And so I opened up another second location in Chicago on Oak Street, which is one of the main streets there that had a much higher foot traffic and much more inventory that I would have been able to sell. So I then ran both back and forth for a while. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That was crazy. I look back on, on, uh, how old was I then? 34. I look back at 34-year-old Molly and I'm like... Man, she had some energy then. <laughs> 34-year-old Molly. <laughs> I don't know if 43-year-old Molly would have been that like gung-ho, but she, she did. <laughs> so what happened with the stores? So I ran those. So I opened up both and they were both doing great and life was good. And the reason why Chicago made sense was there was a local airport like 10 minutes down the road from where we lived that had one flight a day to Chicago. And it was a straight shot kind of there. So it made sense just with our parenting schedule. So when I didn't have the kids, he had them three weekends a month. It was kind of our parenting schedule. So every weekend was when I would go out. I had an amazing store manager. And the one weekend that I had them, they came with me. And I thought that was super fun for them to come work in store. Yeah. Uh, They didn't think it was so cute at the time. But I think, you know, having gone through that now and seeing what it takes to run a store, to build it, to really build a business from Mm -hmm. literally the ground up. I mean, they helped me design the build out and everything and they saw it come to life. I think that was a really important lesson for them. And also what it takes, they were in the store with me till midnight doing inventory some days, you know? So I think that was important to them. Long story short of what happened to them was I was going through the divorce during that time. And up until the 11th hour of finalizing the divorce, we were all in agreement that I would be moving to Chicago with the kids. And so that was kind of the plan. In the 11th hour, the lawyer served me a notice that I'm no longer allowed to move to Chicago. And the only place I'm allowed to move to is Florida, because that is where he wanted to open another one of his businesses. And that really threw me for a loop because Florida is nowhere near Chicago or New Jersey. It pretty much came down to me agreeing to that or putting my kids through a horrible custody trial. And I refused to do that to my children. Oh my God. So within four weeks, we closed the stores, sold my homes and moved to Florida where I knew nobody. So that's what happened to the stores, long story short. Wow. And then you had to give up all your your business babies too. Yes, exactly. And so that was really dark time. I mean, that was very hard for me. I was really so proud of the stores that, and I say we built because literally my kids helped me design it. And it was just something that we felt really good. It gave me a lot to look forward to during a really tough time in my life, going through this divorce, starting over. And I didn't know what I was going to do in Florida. And when I tell you I didn't know anybody, I literally did not know one person when we moved or didn't know if I was going to open up another retail store or what I was going to do. I was kind of lost in that moment. And so... I gave myself a few months to get settled, make sure my kids were okay. And then I really took stock of what I knew how to do, what need there was in the area that we moved to, and what talents I had. And I really was floundering. And it took a really good friend who came down. He was down for work, but we grabbed lunch together. 
And he saw that I was floundering and like any good friend told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear, (laughs) what I needed to hear, which was you're not serving your purpose. Like you're playing victim and you're not really being who you are. And I'm so forever thankful for her because she literally took out a napkin and wrote down Hillen Rand. And she goes, Molly, it's in your name. You love promoting people. It's what you naturally help people do, you know, help them promote their brands, their businesses, because I was kind of helping out my friends on the side, get started on social media. Social media was really coming out and becoming a really big thing. And I knew the importance of getting yourself and your business on social media at the time, you know, Facebook and Instagram had just come out. So I was helping friends on the side and she goes, you need to make it bigger. Like you need to really help these brands and businesses get launched. You should be Hillen brand media and get them on social media. So that's how it started. And so I got some clients, you know, locally and I started doing that. And it wasn't until a local TV station found me and they brought me on because they wanted to expand and be bigger down here in South Florida. Mm -hmm. And they brought me on as their host. And I told them, well, if you want to expand, you need to be everywhere. You can't just be eye on South Florida. You got to be eye on New York, Chicago, LA. And they're like, great, go do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I had no experience prior in production or doing any of that. But like we all do, we're like, sure, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'll figure it out. (laughs) So that's kind of what started me producing and getting in film media and on TV. Wow. And so then you pivoted once again. And now you've got, I love Hill and Brand Media. I love the name. I love the branding of it. I love what you do. The story behind it. I think it's such a great business. So then you pivoted once again, and now you've you've been doing this. Do you think that you'll pivot into other areas, or do you think you're going to stick with just Hill and Brand? You know, Where's the focus of this business? Good question. Great question. Where is my focus? That's a great question. <laughs> Hill and Brand Media started in 2017, which was also the year that Ion South Florida brought me on, and then it was probably the next 12 months that I dove into learning how to produce, do the interviews, be an on-air host, and all the things. I fell in love with it. I really did. I was something I would never, no one who knew me prior to, uh, I guess I was 37 years old at the time, would think that that was a career choice for me. I'm actually an introvert and nobody believes me, but I truly am. I'm an introvert who's chosen an extroverted career path and I don't know how that works, (laughs) but it does. And I fell in love with speaking to these entrepreneurs and these business owners and listening to their journeys and how they went through really tough times because that's what inspires me. That's what lights my fire. And so what was really interesting to me was when we put the cameras away, we would film these little segments to feature the local places and the people. And then the cameras went away. And when they were packing up all this stuff and I was just there talking to the entrepreneur, the public figure, whoever it was, then they started opening up to me about the real stuff and the journey and the hardships and what they struggled with. And I was thinking to myself, man, this is what I want to capture on camera. This is what's really interesting to me, not where they are now how they got there and what the mindset was needed to get there. Like, give me more of that, right? And so that's what then started the Spotlight Series, which is what I do today, is where I film, I sit down with today's you know leading entrepreneurs and business owners and public figures, and I get them to share their story from growing up as a child to now and how they became the success that they are now and what obstacles they faced And what was their mindset to get through it and where they're headed? Because I just feel like there's such a need for positive inspiration 
right now in the world. And for like the past decade, the material stuff has been glorified and featured on like the reality shows. And that's what we've all been consuming, right? Nonstop. And I feel like, especially because of how difficult the past two years has been, like now's the time that people are like, you know what? I need something a little bit deeper. I need something that's a little bit more impactful and hopeful for me to really dive into. I'm kind of sick of the material stuff because it doesn't really matter. I think we all realize, right? In the end, that's not what people are going to remember about me when all is said and done. They're going to remember the impact that I had. So that's my focus right now is grow the Spotlight series to get like amazing people on. Hopefully we'll be getting you on at some point <laughs> if I can ever get up to Canada <laughs> because that's what lights my fire and hopefully lights others. Okay, so now... If the camera stopped rolling right now, yes. what would Molly Dare be saying her mindset was to achieve success? Mm, I don't like being on this side. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, like, it's always so hard for me to be on the flip side, right? Because I'm like, hmm, I need to ask myself these same questions, right? You know? <laughs> My mindset is that of anything is possible. I was really lucky and and I do feel very lucky that I had parents that made me feel that way because I know a lot of people don't have that same supportive environment. Mm -hmm. And so I know that's incredibly lucky. I also feel incredibly lucky that when I was younger, I battled a disease that made me very, very ill. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So when I was in my teens, so during the years of 13, 14, 15 years old, I was in and out of hospitals. I had to go to school with an IV pole, very, very Uh ill with a horrible strain of Lyme's disease, which, you know, it was so bad. The worst of it, I couldn't move from the neck down. I couldn't speak because the synapses, like the virus had gone into my brain and I couldn't speak the words. Like I knew what the words were. They were in my mind, but I couldn't speak them. Like the synapses were so rabid. And I remember laying in this yellow chaise in my parents' room, just praying, like, if you bring me through this, I promise to not take one day for granted. I promise I won't, you know, take the ability to speak or to move for granted. And I say I'm lucky that this happened because I think a lot of people, until they're faced with such a circumstance, Mm. they don't take seriously what a blessing it is to be alive or have the day or to be in a day without pain or to be in a day or even to be able to speak, right? It's like things that we take for granted every day. And so my mindset since I came through that in my teens has just been gratitude. Gratitude for this life that I get to live. Gratitude for a platform that I now get to have to share people's journeys and other people. And so when things go wrong, which they do, and I'm sure there's more coming down the road for me because life is funny that way. My mindset is just a gratitude. And it's like, yeah, this is going to happen and we're going to hit some bad stuff, but it could always be worse. And I don't ever let whatever rocks are thrown my way really deter me off my path because I want my legacy and for my kids to see that they have value and that their talent, whatever it is, I do believe we each have our own individual talents, that whatever that is for you, use it in a positive way to impact others. And that's just always been my kind of motivation in anything that I did. Yeah. So I find that the best entrepreneurs always have that mindset of positivity and of gratitude, and it just makes them resilient and it makes them you know, constantly focused on the solutions for things. Absolutely. And I mean, you're definitely one of those people. I mean, your resiliency, right? And I agree that's the number one, I think, thing when I look at all the entrepreneurs that I look up to is just resiliency. They've all been through such tough stuff and they've learned just resilience. And what that does is you don't waste time. 
Mm-hmm. So many people get stuck in the bad mm-hmm. and it keeps them in it, you know? And it's like, okay, it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad right now, but it's okay. It's not going to deter me from what my motivation is going forward. That is definitely the other one that I think is really important is curiosity. Always mm-hmm. feeling like you're a student and that you have more to learn. Yeah. The people who I think get stuck is they think that they know everything. Yes, constantly learning. You know, and you said that you were grateful for that struggle and for being so sick. And it's interesting because I've had this conversation with a few of my friends that have had perfect-ish lives, you know, grew up very sheltered and everything was given to them and they were paid to go through school. And now none of them are fulfilled in their jobs. You know, they're in their Mm. third. And they've said, I wish I had to struggle when I was younger in some capacity because they don't have that drive or that passion. Yeah, or appreciation. And I don't mean that in a negative way because I think it's great when people don't have to struggle. Don't get me wrong. You know, that's amazing. And they are deserving of all the things too. And I definitely had privileges that so many people didn't get to have. So I'm not saying that I struggled, but I had struggles. And I think it absolutely gives you just the appreciation of whatever does come your way and whatever gifts you have instead of always wanting more and more and more we're just able to have gratitude for what is presently there. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you so scrappy too, I find. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got that grit, right? That yeah. like, I'm going to figure it out. There is a way. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, there is yeah. always a way. You get scrappy and creative. It's funny. Yeah, because, you know, until you have that mindset, it's very hard to be an entrepreneur. It's funny because I was talking the one day on uh, Clubhouse and I was talking about how anybody can start a business or something like that. And then afterwards, some woman messaged me. She's like, it's easy for you to say, Emily, I don't have a computer. And I was like, I didn't have a computer when I started. Are you kidding me? I used to go to the public library. (laughs) But that's the thing. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to just... You can't be focusing on the things that you don't have or the negatives. You got to be focusing on the things you do have, you know? Absolutely. I mean, that's true in life in general. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, I don't have a computer. There's always going to be a reason why you can't do something. Well, excuses. That's the other thing, right? It's like excuses are like one of my biggest issues because we all have excuses. I can have so many excuses every day not to get done what I need to get done. You know, I don't have enough time. My kids, my dog's life in general. There's so many easy outs Mm -hmm. for all of us to make excuses. And, you know, it's a mindset of no excuses, no matter what. I was lucky enough to go on a medical mission with Barbara Majeski, for those who know Barbara Majeski. Yes, for Operation Smile to Santo Domingo. And Barb and I go way back to live in the same town in Princeton, New Jersey. We've known each other for like 18 years. (laughs) So we were involved with this Operation Smile and we went on this medical mission. Now, I would say before we went, we were very caught up in the suburb life, raising kids and all the things. And I can speak for both of us because we've talked about this many, many times that that trip was so life-changing for us because when we saw these families who risked everything to get to go and have the chance for their child to have this life-changing surgery, they traveled by donkey for days. They walked for days. They did anything within their power to get their child to this medical establishment. And when you see what these families go through and have to endure just for the most basic things to go get water, to go get medical attention for whatever. You're like, you know what? I have no excuse not to show up. I have zero excuses in my life not to show up for myself, for the people that matter, or for the people that I promised I would show up for. Wow. That's incredible. 
it made a very impactful change for both of us and just how we chose to lead our lives. Yeah, I love that. I've never heard that story from you before. When was that? That was 10 years ago. I want to say nine or 10 years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. Traveled by donkey just for the basic necessities. Just for a medical checkup. Some just came to just be seen by a doctor for the first time. For two days, they traveled by donkey. I mean, listen to story after story. It really is like every time I think of like an excuse, I'm like, you know what, Molly? They traveled two days by donkey. You have no excuse. It's like my sister and brother. That's what I will tell myself too, because, you know, having 20% lung capacity, my sister went to university and it was like, she couldn't do her own laundry because she was too weak. She used to pay her roommate in ice cream sandwiches to do her laundry for her. (laughs) But it was like, if she can- For college students, food always works as payment. (laughs) And she can go through two double lung transplants. It's like, I can get up and try again. I can get up and take a risk or, you know, do weird. It's like- You don't have, a lot of us, the problems that we think we have are only real because we forget we're going to die. And once we remember that and we bring that to the forefront, it's like more than half of the stuff that we're worrying about doesn't matter. Just get up and live your life to the fullest. Go after those things that you want. Absolutely. No day is promised to any of us, you know, (laughs) and I'm reminded of that, you know, often. And so how grateful we are to get to have today, just to even wake up. And that's why I love featuring people like you because they see you now, right? And they see you and your beauty and all of these amazing posts and all these success and accomplishments that you have. But it's so important that you share those parts of your journey because people need to hear that and they need to be inspired by like, oh, wait, I'm going through this too. And she did it. And look at her now. That means I can do that now. When you look up to people who are where you want to be, it's not just looking at where they are now, but what they went through to get there because then you can put yourself in that place and say, it's not envy or it's not jealousy. It's use it to inspire you. Use it to be like empowered by them. Those are the best people, you know, like the Oprah's where she shares her story of like, you know, I love So like that where you can look up to her and it's like she shared it. And she talks about back in 93 when she started to open up about her story more and really focus on using it to help other people and using her platform and her business to serve other people. She said service and impact. And that was when she catapulted her brand, her show and all of that to going to that next level. So there's there's so many benefits to sharing it and to, to shifting the focus, of course, to service and impact. Now, I did want to ask, because a lot of the listeners that we get are young entrepreneurs, not young as in their age, but young yes. as in your journey. And so, you know, something that I get asked often is how do people get their first business off the ground? What do you think are some of the biggest game changers that you did to establish Hill and Brand Media or even the clothing stores? You know, how did you get those first customers? How did you get that visibility? Such a good question. Well, a few things, actually. A few things that I think were really helpful for me in every entrepreneurial pursuit, because it's always continuing, right? We're always doing Mm -hmm. new, we're thinking of new ventures and what we're going to do. Some really big things that helped me was A, being the face of my brand and my business, whether it was the clothing store, Hill and Brand Media. It was me talking to you about it because I think people are really excited when they hear someone passionate about something. It doesn't matter what it is. I could have not been interested at all in what you're in, but all of a sudden you've gotten me really excited and now I need that, right? (laughs) Because I want how it... Like if I'm going to feel how you feel about it, then I want it too. So I think it's really, really important that you become the face of your business, your brand, whatever that is, that you get in front of the camera, people get to know you and why it means something to you. I want to see you show up all the time and talk to me about it. 
that was a big game changer is when I came out in front of it, whether it was the retail stores or anything that I've done. Another thing is that really holds people back is obviously finances. Any entrepreneur who's starting has nothing, right? It's like we put all of our money into the business. There's really not a lot left over. So they're like, well, how can I bring on new people? I'm doing everything myself. I always say going back to the college people who love to to eat food and eat coffee, go local, hire someone from college. They need college credits. They need experience to put on their resumes when they go out into the workforce. They will work for coffee, for course credit, for food. And, you know, if they do well, another thing that I like to provide is incentive. And so if you bring in deals and you find ways to make money, you get X percent of it, which gets the fire under their belly, right? And then they make, you know, some extra because of that. So that's been really helpful. The third thing that I did was I really took a self-assessment on what my strengths were and what my weaknesses are. Mm. And when I realized what I was good at, that's where I need to show up. That's where I need to bring Molly at at 100%. But where I, my weaknesses are, I got to hire accordingly. So whether that's a college student or someone that you're finally able to pay a salary to or wh- however you want to work it or give incentives, if they bring money in, they get X percent. To bring people who where you have a weakness, that's their strength. And when I did that, that was one of the biggest things I do is when I started hiring people who excelled where I did not. And they covered my blind spots so that I was able to show up better where I was good at. And that really made a huge difference. And probably not only what you're good at, but what you enjoy. Yes. <laughs> Which makes a huge difference too, right? Yeah. You want to get up and be like, okay, what do I get to do today? Instead of, oh, what do I have to do today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing so many people on camera, obviously, that's what you do. And being on camera yourself, it's yeah. funny because so many entrepreneurs hate being on camera. They hate showing yes. up. And so yep. to be the face you know, you say to be the face of the company, we know the benefits of it. We know how important it is. But for so many entrepreneurs, they hear that and they're like, no, I can do that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get that a lot. And I understand it, right? Because I felt that way. My first time on camera was horrific. Like it was mortifying. And I have video footage of it, which I put (laughs) on uh, like a while ago. And maybe I'll repost again just to remind people how horrible I am on camera. (laughs) And so I think people are afraid of that, you know, that they're going to come across not well or that they're not going to be well-spoken. And so whether you use me or someone else, that's where someone, I make people look amazing on camera. No, even if it takes me six hours to get the little sound bites that I know that I need, but you really got to trust the platform, right? But really what it takes is practice, practice, practice. And in today's age, we've got phones with video cameras on it, right? It's easy to do right from your own home even if it's just a 15 second, 30 second spiel about something that you're excited about or passionate about, just record yourself talking about it. Start doing the lives on Instagram with friends. If you're someone who likes to play off other people, you know, get someone else to do it with you. So you at least have banter and it's not just you Mm -hmm. talking. A lot of people are so nervous to go on Instagram live because they're like, what if nobody shows up and I'm just sitting there talking to myself the whole time. So get someone involved, collaborate. Social audio has been the best thing for entrepreneurs because it gets you to practice talking and talking about you and your story and your journey. I can't say it enough. You get this. You're one of the biggest people on social audio is get on social audio. Just at least go on there and listen and see how people are talking about themselves, their businesses, their journeys. And then it'll start resonating with you. And then start raising your hand, join the stages, get up there with everybody, practice sharing your story over and over and over again. And succinctly and in sound bites, which we all learn how to do eventually, or you're going to get cut off. But honestly, I feel like social audio has been the best thing for business people, entrepreneurs, because it really gets you to share your story. 
I tell people that all the time when they're like, I'm nervous. I'm like, go start hosting rooms on Clubhouse. Even if there's a because few- Because no one sees you. Exactly. And that's what like, for people that are nervous, like my brother, I'm like, write out what you want to say. So yeah. you have it there in front of you and then just yeah. kind of read it naturally. And so that's what got him really comfortable. He would write everything out like, hello, my name is Christian. Yes. <laughs> but it made no, him- No, but that's, I've done it too. When I first started out, everything was written out. I had it all in my notes every time I would speak. I mean, and listen, I've been on camera for years at this point and I still needed to do that. So there's no shame in writing it down, whatever it takes to help you. And you have the pressure off of you of having to look a certain way or a big camera in your face or anything. I'm in 90% of the time I'm on social audio. I am in pajamas. I'm in a mom bun. I'm like a hot mess, you know, but I'm practicing (laughs) talking, you know, and sharing my insights, my thoughts, what I'm passionate about. And I think there's no better way to practice that than on social audio right now, especially with all the platforms launching their different social audio platforms right now. I, uh, I was speaking at a university last weekend. And afterwards, they were they wrote me this really nice letter. And it was like, you're an incredible speaker. The speech was just one of the best we've had and all this stuff. And it made me think, because the girl was like, did you have media training? And afterwards, I was shocked because, kid you not, probably the worst public speaker there ever was. I forced myself to do it so many times. But I remember this one speech I did, and it was for a cystic fibrosis fundraiser. And my parents came to watch me. And I was so nervous that I brought the paper off. And my dad said he could see it fluttering in the light. And it was like making, (laughs) so I was just, my hands were, and I was like, and I like, he's like, and you said your brother's birthday was wrong. You said he was the wrong age and all this stuff. And I was like, but that's the thing that I learned over the years of doing so many awful speeches. Nobody remembers. You think in your mind, like, oh my God, that was catastrophic. That was so embarrassing. I had sweat marks down my shirt. Nobody remembers. This is the other thing that I always say when people are so nervous to show up, even to post their thoughts on social media, forget showing up on video. Some people are just nervous to post a photo of themselves, you know, on social media. (laughs) And I always say, no one's watching you as closely as you think they are. And I don't mean that in a mean way. We think like everyone's paying attention to everything that we're doing and watching us. They're really not. And honestly, human nature, we're all rooting for each other, right? That's the other thing I think. We really are. When you go to watch somebody speak, you're not thinking like, oh, I hope this speech sucks and I have to sit here bored for an hour. I hope this person bombs. You want a good speech. You want the person to do well. You're there like, oh, it's okay. Like, don't be nervous thinking, at least I know I am and the majority of people I know are. And so keeping that in mind, like the majority of people there are nice and they want you to do well. Do you know how many people, like think about the times when like people messed up or they were visibly nervous or they forgot their words the audience usually starts applauding for them, right? To me, that's like such a beautiful thing when that happens. And I love when I'm there and that happens because again, human nature, we want to support you. We want you to succeed. And if you flub, which we all do, I still do to this day, people are around you supporting you. We all want you to succeed. And we also understand we're all human. Yeah, we all have been there. It's okay. It's funny because one of the first times I was on Clubhouse, Marcus Black invited me up on stage. And he was like, oh my gosh, I follow you on Instagram. This is Emily, blah, 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 blah. I had never met him before. And then he's like, Emily, tell us about yourself. And I got so nervous. I'm in my bedroom and I was like, ah, I'm just driving at the moment. (laughs) I was like, can I come back when I park? Because I was so scared. I don't know what to say. It was just like, talk about yourself, Emily. And so I just freaked out and was like, I'm driving. 
<laughs> Definitely wasn't. Don't you find that social audio that it's helped you know which stories to pull out at different times? Yes. Because you've talked about it so much. You've seen which ones are helpful. It's the best now, reaction like, and what people yes. are like. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. So helpful. I love that. And so many times, you know, especially when we're talking day in and day out, and we see right away, people message you right after you get that feedback and you see really what connected with people. Yes. But also you can fine tune your story more. Mm-hmm. Like really figure out the parts that are important. And it comes a lot easier as you're able to think on your feet quicker. Yes. Because you've been asked everything under the sun. Everything. And what he did to you, right? You're, you're across the throne, like, and Molly, what do you think about it? I'm like, oh, okay. So you're <laughs> I'll be like in the middle of something or like walking my dogs or whatever. Right? Yeah. The art of just like, okay, I'm just going to say the first thing on the top of my head because I don't even have time to plan it. Yes. Well, I popped into a room night before last. It was a random room on Clubhouse. And it was on something to do with the metaverse and NFTs and Web3. And somebody's like, oh, this is Emily Lyon. I don't know who they were, but they were like, oh, I've heard you talk before. And in some of the rooms. And what do you think about the importance of education in terms of Web3 and the integration of it? <laughs> oh I would have been like, whoop. <laughs> I was like, well, I think it's really important because I think a lot of people are putting too much of their money into this without having, you know, the knowledge of it. And, the, and then I realized after I gave this big spiel, because I thought he was think, talking about being educated about when it comes to Web3 and the investing, because so many people are putting all their money into NFTs yes. and risking that. But really, I realized after the fact, because I just entered the room, what they were talking about is moving education into the Web3 space. So, mm-hmm. you know, learning, having like schools that are virtual schools and things like that. I was like, oh, well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> but you know what, though? It's like, again, you know, no one remembers. And we're also, we all get it. There's also an art of, you know, what I've learned. Because the beginning, I felt like I had to be an expert in everything, right? Yeah. Because I was like, okay, I got to sound like an expert. I have to sound like we would but all raise our hands to come up on stages. And I realized that, honestly, the best response for me a lot of the times was to speak from experience, yeah. not as an expert. So I'm going to share a story about something I experienced instead of trying to tell you my expertise in any area, because I'm not really an expert in anything, but I've got a lot of stories and a lot of experiences that I could share. That's when I have the most people connecting to me. I felt like you were talking with me, not that kind of thing. That's when I get all the messages of people because, and that's what I think is really important too, when we're talking about anything, when we're talking about success or, or advice is that we're talking from our experience. Yes. And I think that gives you more credibility too, because if someone's just rattling off information, I'm like, I need to know real life that, right? And so I always say, speak from experts, but that's for me to decide if you're an expert or not, not you. So I can't say that enough. It also takes the pressure off of you to act like you know everything, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I learned from what I experienced. I'm sure there's a lot more I need to experience in this, but this is what I've learned so far. And I think when you're talking from your own experience, you can't go wrong. You can't right. Wrong. But no one's going to debate that you experience that. Yes. Nobody's going to be like, you're wrong. That's not right. how you do that. As long as you're not being offensive, you can't go wrong with a lot of these things. But the best thing that you can do is just put yourself out there in whatever capacity you are comfortable with. Well, he's on there sometimes, but there's a really big entrepreneur. He's pretty shy. He's pretty under the radar. But he actually exited his last company for just over $100 million. And so mm. he comes into our, a lot of our rooms and he reached out to me and he's like, I was wondering if we could hop on a call. I, I suffer a lot from imposter syndrome. 
And so we wow. have Paul and he's exited his last company. He's building a new one and done a lot of incredible things. And he's like, I hear you speak and I hear you talk about, you know, showing up, building a personal brand. And he's like, but I am so nervous. Like, how do I force myself to do all those things that you talk about and get on camera? And I was like, well, that's the thing. You don't have to do what I say or anybody says. There's so many different ways to be successful just because that works for some people doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And you don't have to force yourself. If you really don't like it, then don't take some footage that you have and put some audio over top of it. Do what's comfortable for you. You know, just showing up in another way. Maybe it's a photo. Maybe it's something else. It doesn't have to be the exact same way. Just because it works for one person doesn't mean that's the route you have to take. It shouldn't be the exact same way as anybody else. Whatever sets you apart Yes. Like I always say, go all in on that because that is where people will totally gravitate to you. When I started as an on-air host, again, horrible at first, <laughs> horrible, so <laughs> embarrassing. When I look back at the videos, I thought I had to act like a newscaster, right? Very stiff, holding my arms. Now I'm very expressive. Like I can't help it. Like when I talk, it's like my hands are all over the place. Like I'm all over the place. I talk literally with my hands. And I kept trying to restrain them. And I was like, you know, hold them like this, Molly, and be very professional. And when I did that, all of me, what makes me me, went away. And it was boring and it was flat. And it didn't translate well on air because I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And finally, someone said to me, Molly, just be you. Like, just like loosen up and do all the things that you normally do and the quirky stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. And then when I started doing that, people related to me more and they started enjoying me more and they wanted to see more of that part of Yes, because you're human. Oh, more than stiff, you know, Molly reporter. So again, whatever sets you apart, that is like your superpower. That is go all in, right? And you know, like I get really sweaty hands. Have since I was a kid, like super sweaty hands. (laughs) And I used to be so afraid of it. And then I've noticed over the years as I like make jokes about it or like if I'm doing a speech and I'm like, sorry, if you notice my hands, yes, they're dripping with sweat. People will laugh. And then after the fact, they'll come up to me like, I love that you said that. It made me feel so much better because I get that. Or like, you know, because they think that you're just this person up there that's successful and not whatever we think. And so quite often, yeah, when we show those sides and we're just ourselves, we point out our flaws, people relate to it and they love it so much. It also takes the pressure off of you, right? They acknowledge and say something out loud that I'm nervous about. I then am like, okay, I said it. So it's not weird anymore. Like my mouth gets really dry if I talk for too long. If I do like one of my big, you know, 30 minute speeches, I get really bad, you know, and so I have to go and drink water. I'm like, well, how will I conspicuously go drink water if like I'm talking? But if you say it out loud, listen, you know, my mouth is going to get really dry. I'm going to get some water. Just mm-hmm. say it, whatever it is, just say it out loud. People get it. And then like, makes you less nervous about it happening. Too, so quite often, a lot of the things that we're nervous about is like, we're nervous about getting nervous or people noticing that we're nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. But everybody gets nervous. I mean, I know for me with the speeches, it's like I, the thought in my head was always like, what if people notice that I'm nervous? And so they think I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. We all feel that way. And it's human. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, she's human too. Amazing. Welcome to the club. <laughs> That's the other thing too. Yeah. Like you don't have to force yourself to do anything. So find a way that works for you. Just like an entrepreneurship, you find a way. But I also want to reiterate, the more you do things, the easier it gets. The more Absolutely. you get that confidence. you like it's easier and easier and easier it gets. And if you really do, if there is some part of you that enjoys it or wants to do it, force yourself to do it a few times and it'll start to get easier. 
Yeah, a lot of what I've done has all been trial by fire, whether it's been, you know, the on-camera stuff or learning how to produce or getting into retail. I mean, I didn't have a background in any of that. I didn't go to school for any of that. It was all learning as I went. I graduated in a degree of clinical psychology. (laughs) I'm telling you, the school of life, in all honesty, taught me way more. And this is a whole other topic of debate, but the school of life has taught me way more than any classroom has. And I have learned by saying yes to things that scared me, saying yes to things that where I didn't know every step of the staircase wasn't lit up for me in any of the endeavors I've done. My brother and I had a music label in New York City where we used to promote singer-songwriters and get them booked in all of, you know, great stages around New York City. I did that in my 20s. It was super fun. We didn't go to school for that. It was trial by fire. It was figuring it out. So every step of the way and every new initiative that I launched, I knew where I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And I knew the first step or two of getting there, but I've never had every step completely figured out because what I've learned is that as I start something new, I got to see the vision clearly. I have to see step one and two, but I know when I almost look at it as like a 10 step staircase and the first two are lit up, but to light up three, four, five, you got to do step one and two. You got to step up those. And then they just naturally will light up as you go to get you all the way. That's such an important point because so many times I will hear from people, I have no idea how to do that. You know, I wish I could build a business, but I have no idea how to do that. The majority of entrepreneurs have no idea how to do that. They just know, like you said, they have that vision. They know the first few little initial steps, but then that opens up the next step or they figure it out. They use Google, the school of life, and they figure it out. But so many entrepreneurs have no idea what they're doing. (laughs) No. And don't you find that everyone has amazing ideas? Everyone's got like the best ideas. They're so creative. They have such passion about things. But the step that loses most people, I would say like 80 to 85% of people is the action step. It's like, okay, you've got this great idea. You've written it all out. You've done your research. You're there. Now take action. And it's like, people are like, well, I'm not ready yet. You're never fully ready. That's the key. You are never fully ready. I have never felt, I'm trying to even think of anything that I've done or jumped into that I felt fully prepared or fully ready. And I honestly cannot come up with one. I'm really honestly trying to think. I can't come up with one. I've never felt like, oh, I got this. No problem. I know everything there is to know about this. How exactly <laughs> I'm going to do it. Not one. And it just came to be as I started doing the action steps. Also, my vision has changed too. Like the end goal of where I first thought it was going, I would say four out of the five times has shifted and changed just because of how the steps lit up. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It doesn't have to oh, be yeah. anything. I think it's the best thing is, is it changes as you start to figure things out. Quite often that end goal will change. And usually it's better than what you even thought because it's yeah. like, oh, this works out better. This is what it was supposed to be. And you just have to be open to that. And I think so many times people get so nervous, like, oh, well, it didn't go the way I planned. I'm like, Who cares? It went the way it was supposed to go. Mm. And good for you for giving it your all and at least taking the action and trying. I found quite often that when something's gone wrong, like I've had a really big failure, it turned out better than what I thought it was supposed to be because of that failure. Like maybe I had to step back and innovate or come up with a new service or a new path. And it ended up being so much better than it was yes. before. Or like turning, like when I lost a massive campaign and I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I remember way back and there was, I think it was like 1.5 million for this campaign with a tobacco company. Mm. For me back then, I was like, 
oh my God, this is insane. This is what I want. We put so much work into it. And then we ended up losing it. And I was devastated. And then it came out down the road. It was like, we got bigger opportunities. And if we had have taken that one with a tobacco company, we would have never been able to get those opportunities because it was like closes so many doors. Once you work with a tobacco company, so many brands don't want to be associated with it. So many things. And so I was like, it worked out so much better than I thought. Thank God we didn't get that contract. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that and used that example, Emily, because it's so true. Sometimes the door you open, it's not the right door. Close it, right? And go to the other doors. It's okay. There's so many doors out there to open. And just because this one didn't, you know, closed on you, that's okay. That's your sign to go to the door number three or four or five. And again, lessons learned. Those lessons learned are invaluable. My failures, which there are many. I actually, I will say I've had many more failures than I've had wins. I'm going to even say that. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I did because each one of those failures, looking back now, it didn't feel good at the time. Don't get me wrong. But when I look back at each and every one of them that didn't work out, I learned something so valuable that prepared me for what was coming next that I'm so glad it happened. And so everything is at least a learning opportunity. If nothing else, it's at least a learning opportunity. I think it comes back to quite often where we're all in that scarcity mindset of, if this doesn't work out, that's all there is and there's no opportunity. you know, Mm. Or this is all there is. And if somebody else wins, that automatically means I lose. And Mm. I have to get this or that's the be all end all. And you know, like you said, there's so many doors. There is so many opportunities. And I remember back when I started too, I would have never collaborated with somebody else in the same space as me. Cause I was like, mm. I, God forbid they're a competitor. No way. But now it's like, that's the best. I mean, even Carmelia, yes. she's got a competing business to me and we collaborate all the time. I just want to collaborate now. Yeah. And so it's like, once you start to change and learn that, I think that takes some time being in entrepreneurship, that there's so many more opportunities out there. The opportunities are endless, that you're comfortable taking more chances and all of those things. And you don't get so upset when things don't work out because you know there's more. Absolutely. The collaboration mindset over competition, I think is one of the most important parts of being an entrepreneur. And it's the most freeing thing to feel like you don't have to compete right? It's like, let's, how can we collaborate? And at the end of the day, people work with people and who wants to work with me is going to be different than who wants to work with someone else in mind. It's okay because you collaborate, you use each other's audiences. Some people are going to want to work with me or someone else in media. It's all about human working to human and who gets along with who. And there's really no competition because there's only one Emily. There's only one Molly. There's only one Carmelia. And I think people forget that, you know, and that's why it's so important to be the face of the brand to get, let people get to know you and who, you know, they're going to be working with, because that's what creates the long-term loyalty. Because now anything that Emily does, people are going to be on board for. It's not just the one thing that brought them in necessarily to you, but it's you. So if you launch a new endeavor, people are already going to be in and excited for it because they trust you. They've gotten to know you. They feel like bonded and trustworthy with you. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, yes. And not every client is a good client for you. There might be a Correct. reason she's not attracted to you, you know? Correct, which is fine. You have to be okay with that, oh, right? Funny. Yeah. I've had some pretty terrible clients. I would have really them rather. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Yes. Oh my gosh, Molly. I could talk to you forever. I really I know. It's so fun. All right. Well, Molly, where can people find more information about you? Where can they find On Air with Molly Dare? 
We're here for you. <laughs> all the things. You can find me. I'm all over Instagram, right? So go to Molly Dare on Instagram. That's where you can find all my other stuff too. Also, my website, mollydare.com, has my podcast, the Spotlight Series, my new jewelry line that's coming out is going to be there. All the stuff. It's like a one-stop shop for all the things <laughs> that I do. So just you go there and you'll find me everywhere. And you have the cutest merch. I've ordered a bunch of it. Shirts. <laughs> I've got mugs. Yes. Oh, it's thank so you. Cute. I know. And I'm going to have to send you, I'm going to send you one of these, Emily. Oh, I love it. That's okay, so awesome. exciting. Congratulations. Thank you so much for today. This was so much fun. Oh, thank you, <laughs> I feel like we're so like a lifelong friends. <laughs> oh, I know. I feel like we're sisters. <laughs> uh-huh.